This is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Welcome to the Flourish at Home Show. Your host, Mary Jo Tate, is an international book editor, the homeschooling mom of four boys, and the author of Flourish, Balance for Homeschool Moms. Mary Jo loves to help moms find peace, order, and balance by sharing practical tips, inspiration, and encouragement. Visit her website at flourishathome.com. And now, here's your host, Mary Jo Tate. Welcome to the Flourish at Home show. I'm Mary Jo Tate, and today we're going to be talking about Introduction to Homeschooling, Part 1. First, I'd like to ask you a question. Is it school when my 13-year-old goes on a mission trip to Peru or attends an internet marketing conference with me? Is it school when he reads a book about ancient Greece just for the fun of it, or he earns his swimming merit badge at Boy Scout camp? Is it school when my 10-year-old interrupts watering his sunflower garden to look at an interesting insect, and he runs inside for his beloved field guide so that he can identify it? Is it school when my 9-year-old discovers a new drawing technique by trial and error, or asks an interesting theological snuggles in my lap for a story and later acts out the plot with his stuffed animals? Each one of these is a powerful example of learning based on genuine curiosity and interest, and it's just as important to a child's education as formal school lessons. Today, we're going to look at the why, how, when, and where of homeschooling. Let's start with the why. Why should you homeschool? Or if you're already homeschooling, why do you homeschool? Homeschooling has to start with your why. Every decision you make about educating your children depends on your reasons for doing so. What are your reasons for homeschooling? If you're just getting started, identifying your reasons will help you chart a course. And if you're a veteran homeschooler, recalling your reasons and looking back at the many benefits can help you renew your vision for why you're doing what you're doing, and it can encourage you to stay the course when the going gets tough, as it inevitably will. Here's a quick look at some of the advantages of homeschooling. It allows you to be the primary influence in your children's lives. You can disciple them in the faith. You can have an abundance of quality and quantity time together. You can build stronger bonds between parents and children and between siblings. In fact, the relationships among my boys are one of my favorite parts of homeschooling. You can share all of life together instead of the family being fragmented in a dozen different places. One-on-one tutoring is much more efficient than classroom instruction, and your children can learn at their own pace. You can customize your educational approach to suit your child's learning style, and you can allow your children to pursue their own interests. You can accommodate special needs, encourage critical thinking, and facilitate independent learning. Homeschooling allows you to nurture creativity rather than squashing it. And as far as the question, how will they ever learn to get along in the real world? Homeschooling actually allows your children to live in the real world rather than the artificial boxes of age segregation. Homeschooling can provide plenty of opportunities for volunteer service, let you avoid educational labels, keep your children safe from danger and help them avoid negative peer influences, and give them plenty of time for positive socialization. You may have other reasons for homeschooling than the ones I've mentioned here because the benefits are really endless. If you're just getting started, you may wonder whether homeschooling really works and whether this is something you really want to try. 
Well, I can tell you enthusiastically, yes, homeschooling really does work. Homeschoolers are seeing a lot of academic success. They typically score 15 to 30 percentile points higher than the norm on standardized tests, and more and more colleges are actively recruiting homeschoolers. Homeschoolers also do well in the workplace. Many become entrepreneurs, and companies who have employed homeschoolers generally praise them, according to the Society for Human Resource Management. Homeschool parents, students, and graduates are good citizens as well. They often volunteer at a library, sing at nursing homes, help their neighbors, or become foster parents or even adopt children who need a good home. 71% of homeschool graduates participate in community service, as opposed to only 37% of similar-aged adults who attended public or private schools. So they really have an impact on their community as well. Once you've decided to homeschool and why you want to do it, you need to think about how you're going to homeschool. Today, we are really blessed with an abundance of options. Whether you prefer fully scripted lessons or bare-bones guidelines, you can choose from a huge variety of curriculum, resources, books, tutors, online classes, video courses, software, co-ops, and support groups. Actually, it's easy to get overwhelmed by all the choices, so please listen closely to what I'm about to say. There are many excellent ways to homeschool, but there is no one right way to homeschool. The right way for you to homeschool is the way that works best for you and your family. It's great to explore the options and to get advice from wise friends, but please don't get caught in the comparison trap, and don't get anxious just because you're not doing everything just like some homeschooling supermom down the street does. I'll say it again. The right way for you to homeschool is the way that works best for you and your family. New homeschoolers eagerly ask, what curriculum should we use? But really, that's the wrong place to start. Before you select curriculum, you need to clarify your reasons for homeschooling and what you hope to accomplish. That's why I started with why before how. After you determine your why, spend some time exploring the variety of approaches to homeschooling, and then you'll be ready to begin choosing curriculum. You might prefer to blend multiple approaches and resources to create your own eclectic program. And if what you choose doesn't work out the way you've planned, and sometimes it won't, You can always change direction next year. Different authors categorize homeschooling approaches in a variety of ways and with different labels. Today, we're going to take a quick look at the six major types, and there is some overlap among the categories. For example, some classical curricula use textbooks and workbooks, and some unit studies are delight-directed. Some textbooks use Charlotte Mason methods, such as narration, and are more akin to living books than traditional age-graded textbooks. Each of these approaches has worked well for some families and not so well for others. The most important thing is to discover what works best for your family. In case you're wondering, in my family, a combination of the Charlotte Mason and classical methods has worked best. I have not used all of the methods and resources I'm going to talk about today, so mentioning them here is not necessarily an endorsement. I'm mentioning representative examples because there's no way I could give you a comprehensive list in the course of this show. I'm including these just to give you an idea of the wide variety of resources available. The first type of homeschooling is what might be called traditional. This is highly structured with an age-graded scope and sequence for each subject. It uses textbooks and workbooks, and it usually includes teacher manuals, tests, and answer keys. 
This kind of material is typically designed for institutional schools and adapted for homeschooling, and it can include video and online options. Some examples would be Abeka, Bob Jones, Alpha Omega, Christian Liberty Press, Calvert School, Mont Media, and Rod and Staff. The second approach is classical. This approach has produced great minds throughout history. It follows the three stages of what's known as the trivium, grammar, logic, and rhetoric. It emphasizes Latin, logic, eloquence in writing and speaking, and participating in the great conversation of classic literature. It tends to be very academic or intellectual. Some examples would include Trivium Pursuit, The Well-Trained Mind, Veritas Press, Memoria Press, and Canon Press. A third approach to homeschooling is the principal approach. This emphasizes America's Christian history, living according to biblical principles, and self-government. It focuses on the four R's of research, reasoning, relating, and recording. Some examples of this approach are James Rose, Stephen McDowell, and Rosalie Slater of the Foundation for American Christian Education. A fourth approach is the Charlotte Mason approach, also known as Living Books. This emphasizes short lessons, real life, nature study, and good habits. It uses living books, which are filled with ideas to ponder, rather than textbook-style snippets of facts, and living books are usually well-written in an engaging narrative style by an author who is passionate about the subject. Charlotte Mason believed that education is an atmosphere, a discipline, and a life. Examples of this approach are Susan Schaefer Macaulay, Dean and Karen Andriola, Katherine Levinson, Ruth Beechett, Clay and Sally Clarkson, Apologia, Beautiful Feet Books, Cornerstone Curriculum, Greenleaf Press, My Father's World, and Ambleside Online. A fifth approach is unit studies. A unit study integrates many subjects into a single theme or topic. It can easily be age-integrated so that the entire family can learn together rather than studying different subjects separately. It often uses creative, hands-on activities and discovery-style learning. Examples include Konos, Weaver, Valerie Bent, Tapestry of Grace, Five in a Row, and Amanda Bennett. A sixth approach is a rather uh, large group with some overlapping categories. It might be known as unschooling, relaxed homeschooling, or delight-directed studies. Sometimes these are categorized separately, but all of them emphasize a child's innate desire to learn, focus on the child's interest, and use a wide variety of resources and activities. Extreme unschooling uses minimal structure, instruction, and intervention, while relaxed or delight-directed homeschooling typically involves more structure. Examples include John Holt, John Taylor Gatto, Patrick Faringa, Mary Hood, Raymond and Dorothy Moore, and Greg Harris. Whatever approach or combination of approaches you choose, be sure to include a good mixture of breadth and depth. Breadth is learning a little about a lot of things, and depth is learning a lot about a few things. And make sure that your children know that education is not simply checking assignments off a list, because it's easy to think we've checked everything off the list, so we've done school for the day. I encourage you to teach your children not only to answer questions, but also to ask them. Help them be curious and help them find answers. Let's go look it up as a great homeschool motto. By the way, that's one reason why it's a great idea to build a home library that extends beyond just this year's curriculum. 
Above all, aim to inspire a love of learning in your children. They may graduate from homeschooling and perhaps from college, but their education shouldn't end there. Make it your goal to create lifelong learners. And be sure to set an example for them by continuing to educate yourself as you learn and grow throughout your own life. When should you homeschool? Well, I think that the best home education integrates school lessons with all the rest of life. Homeschooling can and should take place 24-7. That's why I think it's silly that some states require homeschoolers to keep attendance records. But, silly or not, it's important to comply with your state and local requirements for homeschooling. Some require that your homeschool year fall within certain dates, sometimes based on the public school calendar, and some require that you document a certain number of days per school year or a certain number of hours per school day. Some require testing or notification by certain dates. Be sure to check out the daytime curfew laws in your area as well. The Homeschool Legal Defense Association... HSLDA, is a great place to find out the laws that apply to your state. As long as you comply with whatever laws apply and you're being diligent to educate your children, you can homeschool whenever and wherever you like. You can teach on weekdays and weekends, in the daytime or nighttime. Some families choose to follow the local public school calendar, and others customize a schedule to suit their own needs. Maybe you need to work around a home business or a travel schedule. Or maybe you want to leave some net lessons until night so the kids can study with dad. Here are just a few options. Nine months on, three months off, which is based on the typical school calendar. Three months on, one month off around the year. Three weeks on, one week off. Six weeks on, two weeks off. Or four days a week for 45 weeks with seven full weeks off. You can experiment to find out what works best for your family. Whatever schedule or routine you follow for formal instruction, though, always be alert for teachable moments and spontaneous opportunities. Here's just one example of how this works in my family. When my second son, Andrew, was 10 years old, he was filling the lawnmower and he splashed some gasoline in his eye. I helped him start rinsing out his eye with cold water and I called a toll-free nurse hotline while I was trying not to panic. They insisted that I take him to the emergency room. But when we got there, I could tell he was going to be fine when he immediately noticed a typo that the admitting nurse made when she was entering his information on the computer. What's clawed water, he wanted to know, when she was trying to say that he had rinsed his eye with cold water. Well, as you might expect, we waited in the ER for several hours, and when we finally saw the doctor, all he did was recommend over-the-counter eye drops. Kind of a waste of a trip. But we redeemed the time, because while we waited and waited, and waited. Andrew and I had a spontaneous lesson in Business 101. Here's how it went. It started off when he announced, Perry and I have decided we need to create a scam. Um, a scam? Why is that, Andrew? Well, because we want to make money selling people things. So I explained the difference between a scam and a business. Sometimes it's hard to tell, isn't it? Then we talked about gross and net income, and he figured out the two ways to increase profit, either by increasing your revenue or reducing your expenses. Then I tried to explain the importance of having a viable market for your product. So I asked him, if you want to make money selling a product, what else do you need besides something to sell? Well, over the course of about half an hour, he came up with these answers. A way to make the product, supplies to manufacture the product, a place to sell the product, a good product, 
a fair price, telling people about the product, a big sign to show how much it costs, making change when people give you too much money, and a cash register. Finally, it clicked, and he got the answer I was looking for. Oh, customers. Exactly. You can't have a business without customers. Well, Andrew is a nature lover, so I asked him, what if you were the only person on the planet who cared about sunflowers? What if you knew more about sunflowers than anyone else who has ever lived, and you wrote the best book about sunflowers that has ever been written? Would you make any money? No. Well, this concept may seem like a no-brainer, but even some adult entrepreneurs don't seem to get it. Next, we talked about selling what customers want. So I asked him, what if you're selling vanilla ice cream and not many people are buying vanilla, but everyone is asking for chocolate? Andrew said, you start selling chocolate ice cream. Right. Then I asked, now what if you want to mow yards, but nobody in our neighborhood wants to pay for lawn care? What if you find out that what they really want is someone to wash their cars? You start a car washing business. He quickly saw the value of brokering car washing by bringing customers and workers together rather than washing all of the cars himself. So far, so good. Then I threw him a curveball. What if you find out that in addition to car washing, people want someone to walk their dogs? He said, I stay in the car washing business because I already have everything I need for it. Well, maybe creating multiple streams of income comes under the heading of Business 102, but I won't wait for the next ER visit. Once you've looked at why you want to homeschool, how to homeschool, and when to homeschool, the next question to ask is where should you homeschool? Well, there's home, obviously, but the possibilities are really endless. As you've seen, you can even homeschool in the emergency room. A homeschool doesn't have to look like an institutional school. Some families set aside a designated room for school, complete with old-fashioned school desk. That's fine if you have the space and it works well for you. But be careful to avoid communicating the idea that learning happens only in that room and only during designated hours. As we've mentioned before, all of life is learning. Children can learn indoors or outdoors, at a desk or at the dining room table, or snuggled up together on the sofa reading aloud. They can learn while they're perched on top of the monkey bars with a book. That was Andrew's favorite spot when he was about 10 years old. They can learn at home, at the library, in the car, on a field trip, or while traveling. These are some of my favorite memories of how my boys learned when they were younger. They learned when we gathered under the shady pecan tree in our front yard to read the Swiss Family Robinson aloud. And it was a delightful bonus when the mailman asked, shouldn't you be in school today? And my oldest son said, we're doing school right now. They learned when they used their Playmobil people to reenact a history lesson. They learned when they crowded around the dining room table to make electricity with a flashlight bulb, aluminum foil, and a battery. They learned when they helped me make bread and asked, why does the dough get higher? They learned when we found a dead bird on the deck. They looked it up in a field guide and sketched it. They learned when we comparison shopped at the grocery store, and now they're doing the grocery shopping for me. That's wonderful, by the way. Many benefits of having older children. In fact, now that they're older, my boys mostly prefer to work at desk in their bedrooms upstairs, but they often hang out in the family room with their books and laptops. And we still read aloud together, even though they're all perfectly capable of reading on their own. My oldest son, Forrest, recently moved into his first apartment for his junior year of college, and we had one last full family read aloud with the wind in the willows. Ages 22, 19, 
almost 18 and almost 14. Oh, okay, me too, age 50. We all enjoyed it tremendously. If your homeschool is stuck in a rut, you might experiment with changing locations and see what develops. You may be pleasantly surprised. I really want to emphasize that no matter why or how or when or where you homeschool, you need to be sure to have realistic expectations. We homeschoolers tend to be an idealistic lot, and that's a good thing. But it's important to find peace in the space between the ideal and reality. It's important to focus on what you can do rather than being paralyzed by what you can't do. Whatever your family circumstances, whatever your kids' challenges, whatever their ages, remember to have realistic expectations for them and for yourself. If you have many children of different ages and abilities, your homeschool day will look very different from a day in a home with one kindergartner or one high schooler. If you or your children have special needs or chronic health problems, the word realistic takes on a whole new meaning. If you have an infant or a toddler, challenges from a family with all teens. The ages of your oldest and youngest children make a lot of difference. Next year's homeschool may be very different from this year's. Come up with a realistic plan that you can actually implement rather than wasting time and energy fretting over the gaps between theory and practice, between the ideal and reality. Homeschooling is a huge commitment, and it's easy to become weary and discouraged sometimes. I want to leave you with some encouraging words from Ruth Beechick's excellent book, You Can Teach Your Child Successfully. She writes, I meet teaching parents all around the country and find them to be intelligent, enthusiastic, creative people doing a marvelous job of teaching their children. But sad to say, most of them do not know what a great job they are doing. Everyone thinks it goes smoothly in everyone else's house, and theirs is the only place that has problems. I'll let you in on a secret about teaching. There is no place in the world where it rolls along smoothly without problems. Only in articles and books can that happen. So I encourage you to take heart and keep up the good work. Next time, I'll share some of my very best strategies for making homeschooling work well. So be sure to tune in to the Flourish at Home show on the first and third Tuesday of every month. See you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Flourish at Home show. For more encouragement, visit Mary Jo at flourishathome.com. The Flourish at Home show is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.